Hola mi gente, and welcome back to another episode of EntertainX, where we highlight the work and achievements of different Latinx individuals working across the entertainment industry. I am your lovely, lovely host, Ingrid Nin, and today I will be speaking with creative Amanda Montalvo. Amanda is a New Yorican actress who has worked on well-known sets like Orange is the New Black and Shades of Blue. In college, she majored in theater performance and after furthered her studies in Shakespearean works with the British American Drama Academy in England. Amanda has six plus years working professionally in theater and film, as well as being a stand-in for Latina actresses ranging from Jennifer Lopez to Gina Rodriguez. Hey Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm so excited to be speaking with you. I'm also super, super excited to finally meet you, even if it's virtually, I know. Ingrid. <laughs> I know, but like, at least you're in New York. I'm in Atlanta right now. The fact that we can even just like connect from so far away, it's like, damn, look how far technology has come. I'm so, so, so excited. <laughs> we definitely need to be making more moves in the direction of, like you said, making it attainable. Like you were all the way in Atlanta. And if it was maybe like six years ago, we would have had to book this in a place. We would have had to be in the same place at the same time. And I'm so happy that creators are I don't know, they're getting with it. They're sort of like, oh, okay, I can use the internet for all of its capabilities, not just Netflix. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. And like, as much as I would have loved to have flown you out, like, we don't have the budget for that. So I'm so happy you could accommodate us, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's actually like being super realistic and just being like, just real with it. Just saying, hey, you know, I have this much to do it and I can still make it happen. Exactly. And that's literally like, the goal for this whole podcast in general is like we are just doing it to make it happen you know what i mean like this is the latino gang 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 just out here <laughs> doing the thing <laughs> no honestly if you don't tell your story someone else will and then that's not even your story they're telling a version of your story so if you don't pipe up and say hey we're here too we have things to say we have questions we can help ourselves we are our own community we don't always have to be like reaching out into other parts of other communities where they might not understand us as well. Exactly. And I think that just shows like how important like an authentic POV is when you're telling these stories and sharing our like experiences. But to go into the segue of sharing our experiences, I know I was told that you come from a really creative background full of creatives and storytellers. So can you tell me how that led you to pursue a career into the industry? Absolutely. I went for it. My family only really has like storytellers. Every kind of holiday we would have, it was always my uncles telling stories of like what it was like growing up in Williamsburg in the 80s or 70s. It wasn't just like factual. They would be like playing it out. They'd be giving people voices. They'd be telling jokes. They'd be cutting ass. They'd be, you know, sort of like putting you in the time frame that they were in. So most of my family, like my mom's side and my dad's side of the family, were just like very animated characters. I was enamored by them. And as a really, really little girl, I wanted to like get in on it. I wanted to be able to be a storyteller. I wanted to make my whole family laugh. And when you're like 12, 13 years old, you're not really that funny yet. You're pretty awkward and you're kind of weird. And I realized that like, 
I wasn't that funny. <laughs> like I was trying to tell a story and they were like, Amanda, why? Like, we don't get it. And I'd be like, okay, there's a formula to this. There's a way to tell a story to keep the audience engaged, even if it is just your family member retelling what it was like for them growing up. So I started watching like all of the Laurel and Hardy comedies. I started watching like all the like Eddie Murphy skits and things like that. And then I started to understand what my family's kind of comedy style was, then I could riff, then I could get in on it, then I could tell stories and have everyone laughing. And to me, that was like better than gold. That was absolutely better than gold. I love your commitment for just wanting to tell a good story and like, (laughs) you know, just like not catching the strays for not being able to do that. Like, okay, like you can keep up. Love that for you. (laughs) Exactly. But I love how I think, you know, as Latinos, our culture is so heavily embedded with storytelling. So I think having that personal connection to yourself to inspire you to really lean into that aspect of yourself is so beautiful to really show that, you know, not only are you wanting to connect with your family on this level, but you want to embrace it and you want to have a good time and you really want to show like, hey, like, this is me and I can contribute. So I love that. So how did then those stories turn you to saying okay I want to expand as a storyteller and really lean into the acting of it well I realized that once you find something that you love and you're good at the next step is sort of can I make money can I be professional one of my aunts she still lives in Puerto Rico she used to tour with a bunch of dancing groups like everywhere and she found her love she found her passion she found something that she was really great at and she went for it professionally so I saw within my own family you know yeah we might have some dreamers but you can make that your reality like you don't have to say oh I wish I could I wish I could you can actually just like go do it and she was fantastic she was an amazing dancer in her time so once I saw that in my family and I realized that like those are my people and that's where I come from then you know what? I got this. I can go for the next thing. This is what we do. We're so good at something. You're going to pay me to do it. (laughs) Period. Period. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we love. Yes. So how did you get involved to theater then? Because I know that's where you started from. I was lucky enough to go to a high school where they had, it wasn't like a theater group. It was more like a speech team, debate team. Mm. So we didn't have like a theater background or anything like that. We didn't really do plays very much, but it was always like spoken word and poetry and just very impactful speeches. And, you know, you competed that way. And that's what made me really get into realizing what my own voice was, realizing how powerful the voice itself can be without, you know, performing on stage without having like, you know, where you got to go and you got to go pick up this prop and like, what's the point of it before you do it? That was a bit of a challenge from going from like spoken word and poetry into theater, but -hmm. it was just like a natural flow because you have to memorize a lot of stuff. People on film sets literally only have their scenes memorized for like that day, which is understandable because it, it might get changed over. But I really, really liked the idea that Everyone in the cast of a play knows the entire play. Everyone knows what's going to be happening. And we can do it forward and backward, up and down. And we know where we're going to be in the middle of it. Nice. 
acting in theater was a lot more like you're in control of your character versus being in a film is sort of like you have to give the story the character that the story needs. That's so interesting. So do you think then for you as an actor, do you have a preference more towards the acting style in a theatrical play or musical or whatever you're in there versus on screen where it's a little bit more not free-flowing but it's just a different structure it is an absolutely different structure and they both have their strengths like there are so many parts in film that it's better to tell the story that way with lighting or with the cinematography and it doesn't necessarily all land on the acting the acting is just sometimes very very small part Mm -hmm. I love theater way more because I am in the room with everyone that I'm affecting it's present. It's like when you're in a show and the room falls silent and there's that tension between the two or five actors on stage, it's palpable. Everyone in that room can feel it. And that's kind of what I've always been chasing, what I grew up in practicing, like, you know, having to make everyone laugh right at the drop of a dime. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more powerful as a creative to be on stage with other people in a theater versus being on set is very much like, how can I give you what you want in like 15 minutes or less versus when you're workshopping a show, you could be doing it for six months. Mm -hmm. So you really do feed off of the energies when it's a live performance to really enhance your performance, essentially. Absolutely. I think it's being aware of uh, the two things at once, that you are in a play and you are playing a character, but you are also an actor in a room with people that are watching you live out this story because they don't get to do it. So it's this duality in your own mind as a performer of like, I have to give this character who I'm creating all the life because this is what the people are reading, what they're feeding off of. And as you as a person, as the performer, it kind of gives you a little bit of a God complex of like, (laughs) I can create this thing out of nothing and people love it. And it wasn't real. It wasn't real before I said that it's real. That's so fascinating. And do you think then as an actor on theater, because I know everyone says, you know, you can't really recreate the same performance twice. So do you feel that every time you're on stage, even though you've performed it, you know, for six months or however long you have, that you bring a different kind of energy or a different kind of presence to each performance? Absolutely. I think it has to be different every time. That's Mm. why my love is more for theater than it is for film. When you are workshopping a show and you know exactly what's going to happen, maybe, you know, you didn't sleep that well the night before and now the character is a little bit tired and you have to think about, all right, how would they do this if they were a little bit tired? How would they get through the life that they are living on stage. Or if you are a little bit more nervous, you kind of have to be honest with yourself. In my perspective, I've always had to be more honest with myself as to like, what version of the character am I bringing to today? Also, sometimes people forget their lines. Sometimes props are not where they're supposed to be. And if you're just like regurgitating the same show that you did the night before, then you're not present. And to me, the whole point of theater is for the actors to be so present that it forces the audience to be even like right there with them. Wow. So there is a level of mindfulness that you have to bring into it to really give it your all. 
Yeah. It's a lot to do in the brain space. But if you like it, it's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my God, I can't get more of this. Can I have another bite? (laughs) I think that just shows the emotional complexity that comes with bringing a performance to life, you know, that it's not just you reading something that's written down, but it's really you grabbing from your life and applying it to this character in that moment and making it something different than you. Exactly. I love that. So then how did you decide, okay, I have this immense love for theater now, and now I'm just going to apply this to the screen? I struggled. I definitely struggled acting too big, acting for like Mm -hmm. the entire space versus acting for what the camera was. That was just genuinely practice. That's something that you have to just keep doing and like maybe not practice on set because they want everything to be perfect when you're on set. But when you've got some free time or you've got some friends to sort of like play with the frames for you, of be like, all right, I'm going to record myself and I want to do it this way. I want to do it a completely different way that I've ever done before. Is it coming through on camera? Is it actually seeping through? I feel like film acting is more about the nuances versus the like, I'm acting, I'm doing the thing, the performing of it, because there are so many other parts of a movie or a show that are doing the job of telling the story. Mm. Yeah, because you did mention it. It's only acting in a movie, although it's, you know, the actors are the focal point within the world. It's such a small part of actually creating that world. So I know that you've done a lot of work as a background actor and as a stand-in actor. So how did you land into those kinds of roles And how was that for you as someone who is so lively and has such a big presence, you know, in an acting role? How do you die that down to, you know, essentially just fade into the background and do that job? I got really, really lucky getting picked up for my first stand-in gig. And I got really, really lucky starting in on the industry with the kind of things that they were filming. Like, even though it was background work, it was always very physical because Mm -hmm. you were blurred out. You kind of, if you were at a party, you had to be like laughing really expressively. If you were at a stadium, you had to be cheering. And for me, that's where the theater training had translated well. But when it came from theater to film, being a stand-in was very much like you better stand still. Being in the background, you're still a part of the story and they can still see you, but you're all the way back there versus when they say cut and you become a stand in, you are now in the spot of where this principal person is. You're where technically you want to be if you want to be an actor and you get a taste of it. You get a taste of what it's like to work with the film crew. You get a taste of what it's like to see how the producers speak to people, how the actors work with the background actors, if they do that at all. Mm-hmm. I say that I was really lucky because my first stand-in role was for a girl that I had gone to high school with, actually. Her name is Daniela de Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was like her first big role, but she had been cast in Orange is the New Black as like the comedic relief inmate. And in high school, we competed not, you know, against each other. We competed alongside each other. And we would always have like very similar texts or very similar stories to tell because we're both Latinas and there are only so many stories that they would want us to tell, like the director of the speech team. Mm -hmm. So it was really ironic that my first day on set, I was standing in for someone whom I like worked with for at least three or four years. And we would workshop things together. And 
it was weird because we are probably the same height, but we don't look anything like each other. Like the industry standard of what Latinas are is just like super skewed versus how we identify ourselves. Like she looks completely different than me. Like you would never put us in the room and be like, oh yeah, that's her stand-in. But the industry standard was a lot lower or it's just like super unrealistic. Basically, if you'd like check off the box that you are Latina, they'll throw you in there, whether you actually look that way or not. That's crazy to me that they can just be like, oh, yep, no, she's just Latina. Like, just go. Like, yep. I think that's a problem to showing like, you know, they think that we're a monolith and that we can just, you know, look like each other, be like each other, whatever, when we're not. Yeah. So how did that make you feel then to, you know, as a stand-in actor to be almost like that typecasted stand-in? It was very empowering because Orange is the New Black had a lot of Latina actresses that were like up and coming. It was a really big break for a lot of people, but there was a lot of stereotypes that like none of us really wanted to keep feeding into, but it's what paid our bills. So feeding into it gets your bills paid, not feeding into it means you don't get work. It was definitely a bit of like, I struggled with my identity not personally, but how I was going to present myself in the industry. Because I'm light-skinned and I have very, very straight hair. I'm like very, very Spanish looking. And most of the Latinas on Orange were Dominicans. Mm -hmm. I should not have been standing in for a single one of them. But because I checked off the box, it worked. But it didn't really work because the entire point of a stand-in is that the person is the same height, the same hair texture and color, and the same skin tone. And it made me very much aware how they didn't care about matching the skin tone for the other women that were possibly of darker complexion than myself or lighter complexion than myself. Like there was definitely like, they just didn't care as much. I'm not sure if it was because it was a smaller production or if that's just like what the industry was. Yeah, and I mean, what year are we talking about? We're, I know it's very, like... Yeah, like, we're talking about, like... Early to mid-2010s, right? Like, I think there wasn't really a big movement yet to, you know, create more of an equity space. Nope. Orange was the first. Exactly. Orange was, like, one of the big productions that kept getting bigger, and it kept telling the stories of Latinas, but I'm sorry, but where were we? We were in jail. So already, the beginning of it is, like, huh... Yeah, I mean, but that is the story. But it's so interesting looking at it from like, you know, a 2023 lens where it was such a pivotal moment to showing more people of color in general on screen. But the ways to get there is always just like, wait a minute, like, there's still some problems here. It's actually insane. Yeah, I realized that for myself to get further and further along according to the industry standards there was a lot of casting directors that would tell me well why don't you just check off different boxes and I'd be like what do you mean very naive (laughs) and she'd say well you are white passing so why don't you apply and audition for things that are Caucasian and I was just so hungry and so eager to get on set to be there to be present to be you know where it's all happening that Mm -hmm. I I didn't question myself enough. So I did do it and I did get more jobs, but I wasn't around like-minded individuals. I wasn't representing my community the way that I wanted to. Like I grew up 
with basically the only movie I think that I saw myself in was Real Women Have Curves. You know what? I was literally just thinking that movie. I was like, <laughs> I know you want to say Real Women Have Curves. We're here now. We're here. We're here. Because that movie made such a difference in so many creative women's lives. Because first of all, you get to see yourself on screen and it's not like a perfect version. It's not the cookie cutter. They were real women. They were really, truly, I had seen my grandmother in the mother. I had seen myself and my mother in the main character. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for America Ferreira being who she is. I know 10 years ago, we would have said, oh, she was being so brave, but is telling the truth really that brave? Or is it that it's brave because so much of the rest of the industry is lying? Yeah. I started actually rewatching Ugly Betty. Oh, love it. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. And it made me realize like how much that informed my want to be an actress too. I very much wanted to be America Ferreira growing up. And I think I did everything in my power to do that. Don't worry. This podcast is an American Ferreira like fan account. So don't worry at all. It'll get to her. We stand her so hard here. So... But I think that shows you how important representation is because if we didn't have someone like her trailblazing for us, you know, you wouldn't have had that inspiration on screen to inspire you to go into this field. Exactly. Exactly. I'm very, very grateful for her doing that. And especially at a time where like, it wasn't easy. And there were only so many tropes. There were only so many like stereotypes that Latinas fit into. It was either you were like really sexy or very smart, or the help, or the boss. But if you were a boss, you were an evil CEO. You couldn't be a kind CEO. Mm -hmm. There were just like very ugly stereotypes that maybe they happened. Maybe it was based on some sort of truth, but it's like, that's all we were getting. Yeah. You know, I think it's always important to try to get work out here in a field that's already so heavily white leaning, (laughs) you know, with the source (laughs) that they already say. But I'm so appreciative of the past like five years, five, 10 years of push that we've had to have more authentic, more diverse stories from the Latino community to really show us in a positive light, you know? And I think that shows how we are making a difference and how these people that have been in this industry for so long are really helping us change that narrative. But I would love to go back on your stand and work a little bit more. Um, What did the interactions look like with these people you were standing in for? I know, you know, you were standing in for a lot of Latinas, of course. So how was it being on set with them and, you know, kind of working with them to get something accomplished on that day? Well, I would like to say that majority of actresses are very, very kind and they are very present. The majority of them, some people are very like stuck up and into themselves mm-hmm. and they've got a lot going on. Maybe it's their first time on set. Maybe it's not, but they have a lot of things going on in their own brain space. But the only way that you interact as a stand in with the actress is basically letting her know where her marks are, like letting her know, hey, they changed it from here you're not standing in front of the stove anymore. You're standing to the right of the stove. And they basically put pieces of tape on the floor. So your job is to really just stand there 
be the height, be the skin tone, work with the crew more so than working with the actresses it's very much like a five minute interaction of like oh good morning my name is amanda uh, nice to meet you i'm gonna be standing in for you today the amount of times that women looked at me and they were like no offense honey but why are you standing in for me you don't look like me at all oh my gosh <laughs> you have to like not take it personally it's just like a fact of the matter of like well I was the one that was available and I'm good enough. So have a, we're going to have a great day. It's going to be fine. But it made me like very, very much aware because there are some actresses who have their own stand-ins who like they have the person to call and they look exactly like them. Mm -hmm. It makes the job easier when the skin tone is right so that they can get the right lighting versus when the actress finally gets on set, it might not be right because they calibrated it with my skin tone and my height versus hers. So I personally stopped taking stand-in roles that I knew I didn't look like them. Good. I think also from a non-set standpoint, if you have a stand-in that's not the same skin tone as, you know, the predominant actor, that's a waste of time because then you have to spend another 30 minutes, 45 minutes recalibrating, resetting with the lights and things like that. And essentially it's almost like wasting money on production's end. Yep. Pretty you know, and time which is always such a stringent thing to take care of while you're shooting something. So that's crazy, but good on you for being like, you know what? I know I need this money, but I need to also make sure I'm doing a good job as a stand-in actor. Exactly. So I started standing in for people who are more of my complexion, but it was so ironic because although I'd stand in for girls that were white, they were never my size. I am a grown woman. I am a full-sized woman. And they were always like a quarter of my size. So although oh my God. I was the right size, exactly. It was very Goldilocks. It was very much like a Goldilocks situation of like, you're perfect for this, but you're never going to be perfect for that. And there's only so many people that you look like. And if anyone wanted to get in on standing in, you only have to look at, watch the movies, watch the shows, see who do you look like. When people meet you and they go, oh, you look like so-and-so, that's someone you should be standing in for. Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it when like the people who are going to be watching the shows and the movies can peg you for something that's when you should go in that direction I think that's more responsible than just listening to the casting directors they're not in reality they're in their own world yeah I think casting has already such a full plate of like things they have to focus on that like you know, a stand is probably like the eighth or ninth or tenth thing they're thinking about. Yeah, they're not thinking about it. <laughs> when they're trying to just get everything else like, you know, fulfilled and, you know, ready to go for whatever day on set they need to do. So it's understandable, but it's also it's like a shortcoming on their end where it's like, you know, it's still important, <laughs> even though it's not like the most important thing. It's still an important thing. Yeah. And then the other side of that is knowing whether the person can do the job well. Like yeah. I've seen so many people lose their stand-in gigs because they talk to too many of the actresses or actors, or they try to get pictures on set. Yeah. It, you have to be professional. Like I was a utility stand-in on Orange is New Black for probably like four years, which basically means you can stand in for anyone. They're going to call you in a bunch of times in the week. You're going to stand in for anyone. The DP on that 
ended up working on either Shades of Blue or some movie that Jennifer Lopez was in. And I was just background that day. And she was like, hey, Amanda, you're here today. I need you to stand in for Jennifer. And I was like, I'm sorry. Have you seen my face? I don't look like her at all. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but I can trust you. I can trust you that you're just going to be a person and you're not going to be like glamorized that it's Jennifer Lopez. And I was like, well, first of all, oh my God, it's JLo. But second, yeah, I get it. I got you. You're right. We're all at work. She's a person. We're working. That's it. And she was super chill. She was very much like a not how people expect her to be or how someone expects a superstar to be. She was just Jennifer. Mm -hmm. People expect stars to be like, oh my God, so full of themselves. And sometimes they're really not. And then the people on set look a little silly. And that's the whole point, not to look silly. I mean, she did say, you know, she's still Jenny from the block. So you had to take her for her word. She is. I've seen some actresses be so full of themselves, so absolutely full of themselves that there's like not enough air in the room for the both of you. I didn't even realize that it was her until I looked at her and I was like, oh girl, you mad chill. You too chill. <laughs> Versus like other actresses who like, because they were coming onto set, they told the set PA to have all of the background actors look away so that no one was looking at her while she was coming onto set. That was a completely different actress. I don't remember what her name was, but there are some people who are really, really full of themselves and some who are not. The ones who are not are the easiest to work with, obviously. That's insane to me how people could be so egotistical, but that's just the industry. That's just the job, you know? I think people are quick to forget that like being on set acting is a job like any other profession and you need to act professional and there's going to be days where you know you're going to have great people you're going to work with and there are going to be days where you don't have great people to work with but it's still a job at the end of the day and you still got to pay your bills and get your food and do everything you need to do yeah i would say that latinas are probably the friendliest mm -hmm. when it comes to them being the principal Again, I've just been the stand-in or I've been on sets like on In the Heights. Everyone was so nice. I didn't believe that I was working. <laughs> I was just like, I'm loving what our community is doing because this is great for my mental health. Everyone's happy to be here. Everyone has a role to play. They're full of themselves the right amount. Like sort of you're confident and you know what you bring to the table versus like when you're just way too egotistical and you think you are the whole table. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a difference there. And I haven't been on set for like, I would say the last two years. I don't know what the climate is as of now, but in the last like five to six years, it was always really nice to be with my community at work. I'd love to touch on that more because I know you're in the midst of taking a break. So why are you taking a break? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally giving myself a chance to be who I am to discover things, to let myself be a person without thinking about what I look like constantly, without monitoring my hair color or my skin texture or my weight or, you know, my activity level. It's really cool to just be a person that does a job and your job isn't dependent on what you look like or what you sound like or how you stand or what skills you have in the sense of like, can you do somersaults? Can you do this skill? Do you have this? I stepped away from the industry. I realized I was trying to like reproduce versions of myself, but I wasn't being myself. When it comes to like auditions and stuff like that, I'd learn the script and I practice and I do it. 
and it just felt fake. I felt like I was not being a very good actress. My heart wasn't in it anymore. A lot of the industry has changed because of influencers. That means like a lot of people don't cast commercials anymore. And that's generally where actors get their start. Like new up and coming, you have like maybe five or six lines and then you're done for the day, but it puts you out there. And a lot of the industry has gone to people on their phones who can film in their home or in their own space. The industry doesn't have to spend all that money on getting a commercial made when they can just pay that one person to make it themselves. To me as a consumer, a little better because now I can see the girl who's actually using the product, selling it to me because she actually uses it. That is more beneficial to me who might want to buy new lashes or new nails. And this lady's like, oh, these are great. Oh, these are the worst versus a commercial. Commercials are just trying to sell you what they're selling you. And that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to give myself time to like be a person and not have to reproduce anything and be creative in every other sense other than my physicality. I kind of love that. I kind of think it's so important to set that boundary for yourself and make sure that you are mentally in check to even get on with your days, you know? And I think that's really powerful of you to really recognize that, you know, although I might love this, it's not what's best to serve for me at the moment. So I need to breathe and recalibrate. Yeah, that's the personal take. That's my soul searching aspect of it. That's when I like had to sit down and realize, okay, this might not be the best thing for me. On a professional standpoint, a lot of the rules and regulations have changed in the last five or six years that don't benefit me as a performer. I was in the union, the sag after union. I still am. I still want to see what I can do with that and how much farther I can go because I'm still a very creative person. I just have no interest in being on that side of the camera. Mm -hmm. A lot of the rules, like the pension has been changed. A lot of the sets that you work on either are covered by one part of the union or the other. It's either SAG or AFTRA. These are old industries and they're starting to get updated, but it still isn't all there. Mm -hmm. So there are sometimes you can work an entire year and you're not working for the right part of the union. It's all one union now, but the way that paperwork gets done by productions is just very different. It's not streamlined yet. It happened one year where I worked all year long and I was really excited to see what my pension credit would be and I didn't earn anything. Wow. Yeah, it was absolutely heartbreaking. All the sets that I had been on were, it wasn't the correct one. I don't remember exactly what it was and I don't wanna give people misinformation. And especially like the new media agreements, they might not be covered under the pension. And the whole point I joined the union was to be thinking about like my future. I think that's so interesting how those parameters really affected your decision. Absolutely. So for you then, what advice do you have for, you know, aspiring actors who are looking to kind of get their start in the field, but don't really know where to start? If you are not really sure what kind of actor you want to be, take a class or have a community of actor friends. Like there are lots of improv theaters that you can take a class at. 
there's a lot of colleges that offer acting classes. And then there's also like community theaters that are more than happy to have newcomers. If you really wanted to get into film, I would say setting up like an actor profile on something like backstage.com or casting networks or register with central casting. If it's something that you want to have more experience in, you're going to have to put yourself on set and get the real world application of what you're going to be doing, what's actually going to be needed for you. That's why I'm so grateful that I was a stand-in. It made me aware of what life would be like if I was the principal actress. And for sometimes I said, yes, absolutely give me more. And sometimes I was like, oh, I want no part of this. But I think the most important part is sort of finding your community, auditioning a lot, just genuinely auditioning a lot. And even if you don't get that job, people are going to see you for what you have to offer. Just because you get told no doesn't mean it's a no forever. So if you really want to be starting out, you have to ask yourself some questions as to like, what kind of actor do I want to be? What community do I want to represent? Do I want to represent any community? Do I just want to make money off of my face because I look good? Like that's totally okay. But you have to be firm. You have to be confident and sort of like know yourself really, really well to be able to offer this industry anything because they'll take from you what you put on the table. And if it's something that you don't want to put on the table, then that's not the thing for you. You can find where you belong as long as you're true to yourself. That's the part of the journey that I'm in right now. Also knowing that like, this is a forever love. Like you might not make it big in your 20s, but you might be the perfect person for the perfect role in your 40s. So you might not get it all right now. Understanding that there's longevity to this industry is a really big part of like saving your mental space. Also, making stuff with your friends is not only really fun, really rewarding, and it'll probably be the place that you do your best work. Honestly, you have dropped so many gems this episode. You are truly an amazing person to talk to. And thank you so much again for coming on to speak with me today. Before you go, where can our listeners connect with you at? Super casual. I have an Instagram. (laughs) Super casual. I'm really giving it the whole just be a person thing a go. My Instagram is a.m.goodmorning. I just post like a lot of political things, things I want people to know, either if it's about like the state of the world or the state of set. I kind of just want people to know what they're getting into before they get into it so that they can make the best decisions possible. Because just to like put this out there with any of it, no one on set is going to tell you anything. You always have to ask. You always have to ask maybe three times and different people because everyone's going to have a different answer, a different perspective, but it's definitely not a place with a rule book. They're definitely writing them as they go. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. And I will be linking that in the description box below. So don't worry. And for all you folks listening out there, please make sure to follow us at EntertainX Now on all social media platforms. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of EntertainX. Take care, guys. <laughs>